Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 80. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have a returning guest, Gabe Bryson Trezeis. Howdy. And so today, we're going to be talking about, as the title of this episode implies, the right to disloyalty. And to explain the motivation for this episode to the audience, which we don't always do, in recent weeks I've been following Serial Season 2, and the Bo Bergdahl case has been interesting to me in its details and its narrative that Koenig is exploring, but also in this idea that we hate traitors and that we presume if someone sides with one faction, one group, one nation, etc., they're going to remain there. And anyone who doesn't is branded, of course, a traitor. And historically, there are famous traitors like Benedict Arnold and in Europe during World War II, Vidkun Quisling and countless others because we demonize or vilify these people in a lot of ways. And on one hand, it is completely understandable, but Gabe, to you and also to the audience listening, I'm asking that all of us expand our thinking and reserve judgment about the obvious nature of how terrible being a traitor is because there are truths about the human experience and what we expect in others beneath that insult and that label of being a traitor applied to those who are disloyal. And as a first question to you, I'm curious to know when I asked you to discuss this with me, where your mind went with that prompt and that question. Well, first, let me thank you for having me back on Stride and Sandra. It was a pleasure last year having the chance to talk about Serial Season 1. When you came to me with this idea for a show, I thought immediately of whistleblowers, particularly Chelsea Manning, Edward Snowden, folks who have been labeled heroes and traitors. And the concept of a traitor is is such a binary one. You abandon the side to which you've been loyal and go to the, the dark side, as they say. And I think oftentimes there's a lot of gray area that we may be missing. I think one could argue compellingly that these folks, Manning, Snowden, their revelations had positive and negative effects. I think in the case of, of Bo Bergdahl, I was really excited to hear that Serial was going to be exploring his story this season because I've been following it from the beginning. I remember reading a Rolling Stone article in 2012, 2013 called America's Last Prisoner of War. It was about Bergdahl, about his story and whether he was a traitor, whether he had good reason to go AWOL, etc., etc. So I'm excited now to talk about him once again. And in your discussion of all these things, I'm immediately reminded of the binaries that we seek and that we project in our lives of good and bad, righteous and villainous, those who are loyal, and of course, those who are traitors. And I think the label itself implies that there's a very clear distinction of those who are or are not with us. And we live in a complex world of billions of people. I think it's very simplistic to believe that people are either with us or against us. And I recognize that the mind and humanity itself prefer simplicity. And I totally understand and as a human relate to that. But I think it can be a temptation to view people simply as traitors. And as I've thought about this throughout the past few weeks in preparation, I've thought about the idea of loyalty as involving two or more parties. And you yourself are a party, so to speak. And I think and would contend that you have to be loyal to yourself in your life on some level because that's what life is. You have to work for your own self-interests to a degree in order to survive and benefit from your limited time on earth. And that's not to say that you have to antagonize others or be their enemy. But I think the concept of a traitor implies that your 
your loyalty to yourself can only go so far. And I would suspect that's one of the reasons we hate the selfish in society, because they are seen in almost a passive way as being inherent traitors to everyone else because their only side is of self-interest. I'm not saying people can't take sides, but I would hope that everyone has the self-confidence to take their own side first in addition to others they might later take. What do you think about that? I think that was very insightful and good food for thought. And I think it's helpful to frame this episode as you have the right to disloyalty, because loyalty is oftentimes a kind of contract involving two or more parties mutually expressing loyalty to the other or others. And I think when you conceptualize it in that way, as soon as one party violates that contract or violates the trust of the other party, does that release the other party from the terms of that contract? This may just be the political science major in me speaking. Returning to my original examples, Chelsea Manning, Edward Snowden. Manning was a U.S. Army private. He had this ongoing relationship with this big institution, the Army, and was upset that it had carried out some atrocities in Iraq. This video called Collateral Murder that he handed over to WikiLeaks showing some soldiers in a helicopter firing on journalists, other innocent civilians, and laughing about it. And I think for him, or for her, that demonstrated a violation of the army's duty to act responsibly. And so in that sense, she felt freed to release these materials, to show them to the wider world. And I think that's why she rejects the label of traitor and why many others do so as well, because her actions were in service of a higher good than loyalty. We have all these virtues we consider important. Loyalty may be among them, honesty, hard work, generosity, but these aren't absolute values. Loyalty under all circumstances, I don't think is necessarily the best rule of thumb because institutions and people can sometimes do unsavory things. And in those cases, I think it's more permissible to break the bonds of loyalty. I think that's a very good point, and I'm glad you bring up numerous interesting ideas. One, this sort of hierarchy of values in the individual in which there are greater goods and perhaps lower evils in relation to this concept of loyalty that I agree with you is not necessarily the peak of human value or the peak of human trust in one another. And I also think as you bring up other values like honesty, generosity, hard work, that all of them, including loyalty, are valued by society not only for the benefit that they provide to the greater populace, but for the clarity with which they illustrate the individual. And so I think we love those who contribute to society, but also on some level as storytellers, which is how I see many people. We value those who are easy to categorize because that allows us to conceptualize who they are, which is always going to be a complex human being capable of countless thoughts and feelings. But let's be frank, that's too hard to conceptualize, especially when many of us interact with various people on a day-to-day -day basis. It's just easier if they serve a simple symbolic function in our minds. And so that's why I think it might be tempting to brand these people around us as either traitors or those who are loyal. And I'm glad you brought up political science, but I'd also like to ask you, in the context of a romantic relationship or even in a friendship, 
to what extent do you think the concept of disloyalty applies there? And do you think that on some conceptual level, perhaps subconsciously, we brand those that we lose, perhaps those who cheat on us in relationships as traitors, but simply withhold that word because we think it applies to a different sphere of human interaction? Yeah, I think that's right. We consider those kinds of people to have betrayed us. I think it's interesting that you bring up we don't generally apply the word traitor in those situations, but it's a similar feeling and I think it's a more personal one. If your partner cheats on you, breaks up with you, that I think has a deeper and more visceral impact than reading about a traitor in the wider world, you know, a double agent, someone spying for Russia and the US. We may be captivated by the story, but we don't feel its impact the way we do in interpersonal relationships. No one, I don't think, thinks of the country the way they do a friend or a romantic partner. On the topic of relationships, it's clear to me anyway that if you're in an abusive relationship, you have every right to leave that relationship. Even if we think in general one ought to be loyal to one's partner and forthcoming with them, there are clearly circumstances when that's not the case. And when I think about abusive relationships, I think again about how this notion of loyalty is really bound up in this other notion of contract. And I think it does require two parties, at least. Like I was saying before, one can't be loyal to an inanimate object or the environment, say. We don't talk in those terms. One can be dedicated to preserving the environment, but not loyal. We say sometimes that dogs are loyal, and I think that's assigning them what is essentially a human attribute. Loyalty is something that has to exist between humans, not necessarily at the individual level. I think there's institutional loyalty as well, and institutional betrayal. I saw an article on Time titled Something Something, Institutional Betrayal. It was about the movie Spotlight. I'm not sure if you've seen that or not, but it's about Catholic child sexual abuse scandal in Boston in the 90s and and 2000s and the Boston Globe's investigation thereof. And that's clearly a case of an institution, a collection of human beings betraying their fellow beings. And I really appreciate that you bring up the dog example because we absolutely apply that adjective to dogs. Because from my perspective, we would like to think that these animals are not simply there for the food and companionship that we provide, which, if we're being honest, could be given by any person to this dog or this animal. And instead, we hope that their loyalty, as you've described, reflects something greater in ourselves. I think loyalty and perhaps disloyalty are indicators of individual value. And we think the more people that are loyal to our cause, another way of thinking about it, the more people who like our posts on Facebook, the more people who subscribe to our YouTube channels, the more people who attend our movies, in certain ways are showing a form of loyalty. And on base levels, these individuals are getting what they want, getting what they need, finding resources and enjoying themselves at our expense, but I don't think the individual wants to consider the fact that it is losing something. And so we think, well, I'm giving them entertainment, but in return, they're showing me a form of loyalty. And this concept could be broadly applied to anything, I suspect, so I'll hesitate to go further with that. But I do think we seek loyalty as a form of validation. And so disloyalty and those who are traitors are doubly damaging, one, in that we lose them from our side of support, but two, their betrayal, as we describe it from our very limited perspective, indicates that perhaps we are missing something or we are not good enough to enjoy their loyalty. 
And when you bring up contracts and institutions, I think those are essential points to this discussion because people value both contracts and institutions for similar reasons. And that being in my mind that they are stable. Mm -hmm. There are certain institutions that have been around for hundreds and some for thousands of years. And people, as I think is evident in various studies and various anecdotal instances, do not enjoy change. And the idea, again, of disloyalty is disruptive for the simple reason that someone is changing sides from our perspectives. And I think that's problematic and, again, simplistic because they have their reasons and their reasons certainly conflict with our interests and our needs. But I think, again, the idea of disloyalty implies that I, the individual, am right simply because I hold certain values and it's not very open-minded. And I certainly recognize in cases of exes cheating and sensitive information being leaked or revealed or human beings hurt or abused in some way, that's not okay. And I think that this insistence and repetitive use of the term traitor and the belief that disloyalty is widespread, one, can instill fear in a lot of people and doesn't take into account that Perhaps there are certain hypocrisies and paradoxes inherent in society because people are self-interested, in my opinion, and I don't think that's an inherently bad thing. I think it becomes a bad thing when it is in conflict with other people, and there's a whole discussion about competitiveness versus cooperation that we don't need to get into. But I'd be curious to hear from you to what extent you think disloyalty reflects our fear of change as people. And that prompts me to ask, why do we automatically think of loyalty as a good thing? Because I think most people would consider loyalty a positive attribute to have. And I think the reason for that is there's no better way to affirm people or groups you like, you trust, you connect with than to be consistently supportive of them. But that doesn't make loyalty necessarily a good thing. It doesn't ensure that the people or groups to which you are loyal deserve that loyalty. And I think that's perhaps where we can start to understand the concept of loyalty a little better and consider under what circumstances, if any, it's morally, socially acceptable to be disloyal. And I think that gets back to your example of an abusive relationship in which I think one psychological hesitation for leaving a partner who is abusive is that our culture emphasizes the value of romantic relationships and various individuals and societies and programs assert that partnership is valuable. And I think it is, again, because of some form of loyalty that we are afraid of breaking because it's a reflection on us and we live in a world where people won't always ask questions where they should and say, oh, well, you left them. Maybe they weren't the right person for you or maybe they were hurting you. If that's the case, I applaud you for leaving them because you were doing what you needed. And honestly, they don't deserve to have someone around who they can abuse. And I think talking about relationships is a good entree into this subject, because I think you're right that a lot of people think of relationships and other kinds of partnerships as a sign of strength. It makes them think better of themselves, that they are able to develop and sustain this connection with others. And I think for that reason, because relationships can be so engrossing and affirming, it can be very hard to leave them when they start becoming toxic. And I guess what I'm getting to is disloyalty. To commit disloyalty can require some bravery. It's not always easy to break free of these types of connections. And I think when one is in an unhealthy relationship, 
leadership of any kind, it can feel like you yourself have failed. You feel like you should have been capable of saving the relationship. And that may affect the way you conceive of the relationship. When you're in a relationship that may call for disloyalty, it can be hard to untangle those thoughts, the thoughts driving you to be disloyal from associated emotions and connections to the other person or people involved. And I'm really glad you bring up bravery because it does take an amount of courage to move away from those we think deserve our loyalty or expect our loyalty in some way. And the idea of deserving loyalty is also essential. And so I appreciate your bringing it up earlier because there are societal and cultural structures in place that tell us who does and who does not deserve our loyalty, be they authority figures or family members or anyone with power or who treats us with love. And I'm not advocating that we quote unquote betray all these people. But I do think, as with other episodes of this show, the simple act of questioning why we are loyal to these individuals, and if they do in fact deserve our unconditional loyalty, these are important questions to ask. And I think the rhetoric surrounding loyalty often denies our human impulse to change, whether we are uncomfortable with it or not. I think that's an aspect of the human condition, that we don't enjoy change, and yet we need survive upon and are constantly faced with change. And I think loyalty and these sort of social contracts that you have brought up are an attempt to resist these forces in our universe and in the world that are almost demanding that we not be loyal to too many groups or without cause. And a final point I would value your thoughts on is the idea of loyalty as a limited resource. Do you think you can be loyal to many groups within your lifetime simultaneously? Do you think it's a matter of choosing preferred groups and finding those you think best represent your values? I do think loyalty can be a limited resource in that sometimes you have to choose to whom or to what you're going to be loyal. You can't be loyal to everything. There can be a tension. Say, the case you brought up in the beginning of the Norwegian ruler during World War II, Vidkun Kiesling, that was a very stark choice he had to make. He was going to ally with the Nazis or with the Allies. You cannot be loyal to both. That's a very binary example, but I think similar cases crop up in our everyday lives too. And I think it might be fruitful to consider on a case-by-case basis what motivates disloyalty. Sometimes it is selfish. Sometimes it's for monetary gain, for fame. And I think most people would look down on disloyalty committed for those reasons. Sometimes it's selfish, but more permissible, such as when you're in an abusive relationship and need for your own health and well-being to get out. Sometimes it's not selfish. Consider Edward Snowden, for example. He risked life and limb to reveal illegal activities committed by the National Security Agency, his former employer. At least he claims to have done this to inform the American people and people around the world. It wasn't for himself, at least the way he describes it. It was as far from it as you can get. It was a selfless act. And so I think it's impossible and unwise to try to draw sweeping conclusions about the good or the bad in being loyal or disloyal. And in mentioning Snowden, I can already hear certain listeners who would disagree with you saying, well, he betrayed the country. He revealed sensitive information that could potentially harm us. 
And I'm glad you draw a continuum of loyalty to disloyalty because it's not as black and white as we might believe. And I personally think that he had and still has a larger vision of what that momentary betrayal might mean or what that set of revelations might do for the country. And I think those who find him to be a traitor in a very limited sense of the word see his actions purely as an attack. And I think it's this belief that pain is a sign of bad things when in some cases cases, pain precedes healing and must be experienced in order to fix a wrong that was previously committed. And so I don't think his actions are as simplistic as many might feel. And I also think that with Snowden as another great example, disloyalty or betrayal can be a sign not only that you're doing what's best for yourself, but also that you would like to indicate to the other party that they are in the wrong. And so disloyalty can be, from my perspective, an expression of disappointment that you wish the other party or the other individual or group had acted differently and that you're leaving that social contract is a sign to them that they should have done something differently. I think you're right to make the point that people think of Snowden's actions in very divergent ways. And I think those differences of opinion reflect different value sets. Some people think obedience to the law is the ultimate good. And if you follow the law, then you are being moral. And some people think the law can be wrong and you would do better to obey a higher set of principles. And folks on the other side would say we'd have chaos if everybody just did what they thought was right. One example to illuminate how I'm thinking about this is last week I had the privilege of interviewing James Pardue, former American ambassador to Bulgaria, who was on our campus for a lecture. And I asked him about WikiLeaks and Chelsea Manning's role in releasing a whole bunch of classified State Department cables, including some that Pardue had written during his tenure as ambassador. And he said she broke the law, she should be punished for it, but I'm glad that what she revealed is out there. I'm glad that these cables I wrote about organized crime in Bulgaria are now in full view. So I think it's hard not to see a contradiction there, which just gets back to one of my earliest points about how much gray area there is here. And before we close this episode, as is typical, I'd like to know what you want the audience to think about after listening to this conversation. I would encourage those listening to this episode to think about loyalty, disloyalty in your own life, how it has manifested itself in your interactions with other people. To whom are you most loyal? Have you ever been disloyal? Has someone ever been disloyal to you? And I think thinking through these questions will make you see that loyalty is not as cut and dry as you might expect. Perhaps even someone who loved you was disloyal to you. And this is not me making a case for disloyalty, but rather me trying to bring out the nuance that is sometimes lost when we talk in such binary ways about people's actions. He's either a hero or a traitor. I think there are maybe many categories in between, and that's what I hope we've illuminated for you in today's episode. I couldn't agree more, and I also hope the audience thinks about not only examples of loyalty and disloyalty in their lives, but also the fluidity of loyalty and ways in which we might later return to groups that we had formerly disagreed with because, as we've noted numerous times, change happens and people and groups are not always stagnant. 
and those we formerly held to be wrong in some way might align themselves with our value sets and views over time, I'd also like the audience to consider loyalty not as a sign of those who are best in our perception, but of those who are better than other options, because we might choose one group or one individual, not for absolute reasons, but for relative ones, with the perception that they suit our needs better at that moment, but that other options weren't necessarily bad or wrong, simply not good enough. And I think, again, in our binary worldviews, we often think those who are chosen are worthy and those who are not simply don't deserve attention or time. And that's not always the case. As I said earlier, the world is full of billions of people and I would say more than billions of options and possible alliances or fragmentations. And as always, I would urge the audience to pursue more complex routes of thought and more complicated ideas as Gabe and I have tried to unpack. So Gabe, thank you very much for coming back on. It was great to have you. Uh, thank you, Kip. But of course, we want this to be a conversation among not simply a conversation between. So if you have thoughts, opinions, feedback, or comments of any kind, please join the conversation and reach out to us. You can connect with us via Twitter or Facebook, where if you like our page, you'll receive weekly updates when we post new episodes or other links. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to and reviewing the show, as well as sharing it with someone you think might enjoy it, because that helps our conversation expand, and that's really what we're after. And as always, we thank you very much for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark, signing off.